What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, July 28th, 2020. This week's episode, from Abu Dhabi to Vegas. We'll be talking about everything Fight Island, of course, starting with Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. We'll be talking about MMA news, including Malki Kawa, talking about the state of his PFL athletes and their contracts. And of course, look ahead to this Saturday's card, headline between Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am here with a special co-host. I like to refer to him as Mr. Say It Like It Is on MMA Twitter, one of the smartest reporters that I know, Mr. Anthony Walker. Anthony, welcome back. How you been? Hey. Hey, man, been great, man. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for, for such a um, glowing uh, yet borderline dishonest uh, introduction. I, I ain't all that, but I appreciate the kind words, my man. Uh, I'm going to say this. So besides being the founder of the Clapback Cartel, which is very fun on occasion to watch, I like Thank to you, think sir. like sometimes you're saying the things that I feel like I need a burner account to say. Because sometimes I'll be like, bro, you know what? UFC ever sees one of these, I may not ever get that job. So, But then Anthony Walker is like, yep, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm actually surprised that I'm not completely blackballed just yet. I, I've, I've definitely uh, rubbed a few people the wrong way. Uh, I'm sure it will happen many, many times as, as it all goes on. And I have no apologies. I, I'm going to say so. this though. You have never said something that I think was untrue. I yeah, see, that. and that's thank you, thank you, and, that, and that's that's really all it all it is. Like I'm I'm just being truthful. Like if if the truth sucks, then you know do something different. <laughs> you know I'm I'm just I'm just being real, man. That's that's all I can do. That's all I'm supposed to do. That's all we should do as as uh, reporters. Exactly, man. Well, look, th- w- thank you for coming back. I know that you've got a family and everything, and there's been some crazy times. So we spoke. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. Uh, we've been, I th- I'll say this, we've been very lucky, I think, as fans, first and foremost, because of all the sports to come back, MMA is the one that's been here the longest, so it's kind of like, you know, your favorite food is pizza, they close the burger joint, the Mexican food joint, Chinese food, but all the pizza places stayed open, and it's like, you know what, this is kind of a nice problem to have, is, okay, there's not really too much else going on. But we've had MMA. How's that experience been like for you? It, it's been interesting. Like I, I feel two different ways about it because, of course, I'm a, a sports fan. You know, I'm a fight fan. Uh, obviously, um, if if I'm doing this, I, I, I obviously love fights. So you never want to see sports or fights go away. You, you always want that that escape from reality, especially now. Like times are tough. You know, life in the general world is not very easy for for the average person right now. So. So, yeah, you want that escape. You want to distance yourself from reality for for that moment in time. But then also it's been juxtaposed with um, morally. Is this what we need right now? Is this something that should be going on now? I'll I'll say that, you know, the UFC did pull it off as best as possible. Um, So I give them credit there. I still have issues with the idea that sports have to go on right now, considering what's going on in the world. I mean, I think that's very fair. And especially anytime you see any t- positive tests come up, I think everyone's immediately like, wait, do we still need to bring these guys and girls in and out out there? But um, 
you know, I will say this. I think that my biggest thing is that, you know, I see it every day out, you know, outside. It's like, you know, people still like, look, I, I know it's dangerous times, but at a certain point, got to go back to work and you still got to conduct a certain things. And I think that's a weird thing is because you see the athletes and it's very easy to say this is entertainment. This is this and that. It's like a TV show. It's not necessary, but then you remember for a lot of people, a lot of the fighters, this is their job. This is their nine to five. This is how they do it. And far be it from me, just like I need to get paid, so do they. And so I'm with right. you there. It's a little bit of a weird one because you don't want to see anyone get sick. I don't want to see people in my nine to five life that have nothing to do with MMA getting sick because they had to go back to work. But I'm aware we're in crazy times too. So it's very tough, but... um. I understand completely what you mean. We did have some good <laughs> fights to enjoy, though. And I think I will say this. I was okay with it because I think nobody there was worried about the Rona as much as they were worried about a lot of dynamite on Saturday night. What about you? Yeah, uh, Saturday night definitely delivered uh, from an action standpoint. It actually, strangely enough, uh, since um, the Fight Island thing came about, with the exception of the, the pay-per-view was uh, 251, uh, that that they had at Fight Island. This was the 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 only Fight Island card that I watched from top to bottom live. Um, so so it was really you know happened to be my my wife and and son were were out of the house for a little bit. So I had a peaceful household. I I, I turned on the TV, cracked open a beer, and it was like oh it's just like old times. I'm just watching a fight. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, so I'm glad from an action standpoint it delivered, and there were some some really relevant fights on that card as well. So. I'm I'm anxious to talk about it with you, my man. Yeah, I mean, let's get right into it. The middleweight fight, former champion Robert Whitaker. He defeated Darren Till by unanimous decision. Uh, I want to say this. I think that going into the fight, while Darren did a good job of promoting himself and getting a lot of attention, I think there was a lot of question, how does he deal with such a dynamic, explosive, powerful guy like Whitaker because I think a lot of people, in a lot of people's eyes, Kelvin Gastelum back in November, you know, it wasn't the Kelvin who fought Israel Adesanya. You felt like there was just, you know, similar to Woodley versus Kamar Usman, regardless of the opponent in front of him, the fact is you felt like the guy just did not perform to the level you know he's capable of. Could Darren replicate results against Rob? I gotta say, I was very impressed with the way Till brought the fight. I think he did a good job of trying to neutralize the speed and athleticism. A lot of feints. Obviously, there's the meme out there. Uh, just tried to use his physicality. The way I related, though, Anthony, it was like watching two guys try to take each other out with grenades. It was like Darren just kept trying to fake them until he could go with that big elbow, land the big shot. And then you had Whitaker trying to land all these head kicks, just flat out, doesn't even set them up. Tried to swing those big wild punches at Till, and they're just slipping out of the way of a ton of them that fight. It was very interesting to watch. I expected a lot more long combinations than I think we even saw. I feel like there was maybe two or three where they threw more than three punches at a time. Uh, it was closer. I think Darren did a good job of trying to slow the pace, but at the end of the day, Rob just got more combinations in, um, you know, middle of the fight, toward the end of the fight. So, yeah, I was okay with the decision. I don't think it was as close as people, some people have been saying. What about you? 
I mean, I thought it was a, a pretty close fight. Um, it, it, it really, it, it was interesting um, watching the, the, the two strategies play out. I mean, like you said, like two guys trying to take each other out with grenades the entire time. And, and we didn't really see a lot of nuance. You know, with the exception of, of Till landing that counter elbow a couple times, it, it seemed more like they were so dead set on just decapitating the other man that they didn't bother to do a lot of things to set that up. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it would have been good if, if either one of them dialed back the aggression just a little bit, just enough to where you can <clears throat> throw some jabs uh, that, that are going to lead into the leg kick or, or, or faint or, you know, do any sort of nuanced thing that's going to mix things up because it, it, it got into, to a point where they were just throwing bombs left and right and maybe they would land, maybe they wouldn't, but they were just swinging and swinging and swinging and swinging. Um, I, I will say that they're lucky that the other man didn't come in with with more defined strategy because they both left themselves wide open for so many counters. They were leading with their chins. They were they were doing a lot of things that would be considered sloppy. Um, but since the other guy was doing it, you got away with it. I completely agree with that entire thing. I think that's exactly what you saw. It made for fun a fun fight. You did feel like if one of these guys connects, you are going to see the other guy have his head end up in the front row in the desert of Abu Dhabi. I will say that. That wasn't yeah. too bad. But um, yeah, very different, especially when you know what both guys are capable of. But um, Whitaker got the win. I liked how durable he looked. I think that was a big question after everything he had going on, the loss to Izzy and all that. He took some good shots. His cardio looked good for five rounds. Uh, I think that was a very good victory to show where he's at in terms of the division as it is right now. Um, in terms of yeah, what's next, I, I mean, um, I feel like I know they were talking about Jack Hermanson a bit because he got the win uh, the week before. I really feel like if the timing is there, I don't see how you don't match him up with Jared Cannonier. I feel like everything is set up with the calendar. Izzy and Costa are not going to fight until September. You feel like Izzy's not about to make a quick return under the circumstances this year. So I feel like that sets it up. And I feel like um, Hermanson, you know, he's still right there. Maybe he fights the winner of Brunson and Shabazian this Saturday. I feel like the calendar just plays it. And then if you're Jared... Robert Whitaker would probably be your first title defense anyway if you're a champion. So why wouldn't you want to take him out now if you can't get a title shot? Well, I mean, if I'm Jared Cannonier, uh, I don't think I'm necessarily rushing back to to fight Robert Whitaker. Not not that Cannonier can't beat him, um, but it's it's a risk that you're taking off of a, a really bad injury and the potential of losing that title shot. I, if if I'm Jared Cannonier, I'm going to make sure I'm fully healed, make sure my body is completely ready to go. Uh, because Woody, towards bicep, uh, I believe it was, right? A couple months yes. back? Yep. Right. So, yeah. So I'm not sure if there are any other injuries in there, how his recovery is gone. But if if um, the, the actual title fight is going to be in September, which is not long away at all, that's, that's what, five weeks away uh, that we're going to head into September. Let that fight play out. Uh, heal up and then see what happens uh, because Whitaker's going to be there. He's he's not going to. I mean, he's not going to be booked again against uh, Romero. You know, maybe the Hermanson fight is there. Maybe they they. Um, I don't even think they put Gaslam in front of him, considering Gaslam's coming off of a loss. So you really, um, you really have time on your side if you're Jerry Cannonier. 
Uh, let 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 Costa and, and Izzy play out, especially now that we know that's not going to be a tough coaching stint attached to it. So we know it's not going to be that extra bit of delay on it. Let them fight. See what happens there. Now, if I'm if if I'm Darren Till, um, granted, he did go on record as saying that he didn't want to do this. But Till is also he'll do it anyway. Yoel Romero sounds like the best fight for me. Um I'd like to see those two. I mean, both coming off of off of losses and they're in the top five. So that makes sense. Uh, stylistically, it could be very entertaining. And I think I, I think from either side, when you're looking at it from a strategy standpoint, a very winnable fight for both men. Uh, I say both that one. I like that one. My thing is, uh, I think Yoel is booked later this later in August against Uriah Hall. Oh, that's yeah. right. I forgot all about that. I, I will say this because uh, I think that uh, that's a great fight for Yoel. I don't know if he's going to feel like that's the fight he wants if he's coming off a win, Darren is coming off a loss. I do like the storyline, and I'm with you there on the stylistic fight for both guys, for sure. But I think that one, you're almost going to need a little bit of coaxing on Yoel's side to say, yeah, you do want Darren Till under the circumstances. You don't... Because I'll also say this, depending on, you know, where they're at, uh, I think um, with Jared... I guess that's the thing. Are you going to gamble on fi- not fighting in- for over a year and still getting an immediate title shot? Also, not for nothing, but we saw with Yo Romero coming off a loss, getting a title shot. Yeah, Under the circumstances, point. if some funny stuff happens, what if Izzy tries to pull a, hey, give me Darren Till after Costa if I win? That now, well, I mean, he did already kind of pull that on Twitter. Yeah, he already did say that, exactly. Say that he wanted that fight, so you get you do have a have a great point there. I mean, I'm, maybe I'm I'm getting too old school here because I'm I still follow the Joe Silva line of matchmaking: winners and winners, losers and losers. Um, I, I think that's still a, a good guideline that we that we should follow. I wouldn't be upset uh, from a pure entertainment standpoint of seeing Till fight. Um, you know, Adesanya, if he were to defeat Costa, but, but we, we, it has to draw the line somewhere. Like we can't have people getting title shots after losses continually, even though they make for great jokes on Twitter. Yeah. I I think that, um, with a champion like Adesanya, look, uh, I'm very aware Darren Till and all that, that'd be a fun buildup and all that, but I know he's not as big a name, but Jared Cannonier is just, he's a beast, and he's doing well. I think if he's available, that's just got to be a fight for Izzy, especially when you look at his resume. I mean, if you've, got, if you've hypothetically gone through the row of Whitaker, Romero, Costa, and Jared, I mean, you got an argument, probably one of the best middleweights we've ever seen, and certainly up there pound for pound, and suddenly, hey, John Jones put up or shut up. I feel like that storyline is there mm. if he can complete this run, so to speak. So that's the thing for me. I guess my thing is worried about Jared kind of getting lost in the shuffle after so much time. But um, look, like yeah, you said, and, anything and, can yeah, happen. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. Anything can happen. Uh, I think that, like you said, let's see how it plays out. Paulo Costa could come in, win, and suddenly all of this math we're doing uh, is very, you know, worthless. So... But yeah, I, I think that's my big thing is that Jared getting lost when I think he is right there to be next for the title after Costa. Right, right. Yeah, I just I, I just think that we, um, you know, a little bit of patience might be useful considering like that that title fight is scheduled for only, you know, a few weeks down the line. 
you know, so there's I don't think there's any really real rush to to line up all these pieces just yet. And we weren't quite we're not quite sure when Whitaker's going to be ready to jump back in either. He did just go through a hard five round fight. So he probably has injuries that need to heal uh, before he starts talking about getting booked again, too. No, for sure. And I'm sure as as soon as Adesanya and Costa is completed, we're going to revisit the conversation. Where is this guy? Where is that guy? Probably someone else's book by then, and we'll get more of a concrete answer of where the UFC is looking to, you know, what direction they want next for the champion. Um, there were some good career finales, possibly for two guys. Uh, the big one, Little Noguera. I mean, very bluntly, he's a guy who's been around a long time. Um, I think that injuries and just time off, it kind of halted him getting that big momentum in the UFC. But look, he brought it against some of the biggest names of the last decade. He's uh, right there with his brother. I think he was a big pioneer for a new generation of MMA heavyweights and just MMA athletes out of Brazil. Um, I was a little surprised. I saw someone tweet out, you know, Shogun kind of broke the rules of retirement fights and went for a couple takedowns that you felt like were a little unfair if you're gonna if this is the last hurrah I kind of agreed with that because I was ready it's like come on man let's just let's just have some fun this is it he did what he needed to to win and I can't fault Shogun for that um just a great uh fight just a fun fight they kind of reminded people why they were the man and why they were a big deal in their heyday. So I like that fight. Anything to add about Little Noguera or Shogun? Uh, that fight was way better than it was supposed to be. That yes. I mean, <laughs> when that fight got booked, like I wanted to cry. And I was already I was already with the box of Kleenex when when they were <laughs> when they were making their walks out to the cage. Like, man, this is going to be rough. This is going to be really rough. Um, in fact, I think I tweeted out something about um Something about everybody being sad, um, you know, getting, getting ready to be sad because this was going to be such a such a terrible fight. But it ended up being pretty damn good. Like they they really they really delivered. I'm just concerned about um, any future endeavors from either gentleman because they delivered in a fight that would be troubling to watch a 25 year old in where there's back and forth power shots the whole time. I don't want to see guys you know, they're in their forties doing that either. <laughs> you know, I really, really don't want to see that as fun as it was. Let's never, never do that again. I'm good with leaving, leaving that alone. Um, although I'm pretty sure that, that they are, they are already getting calls from Scott Coker. Yeah. I feel like, you know, Scott Coker, BKFC probably is, you know, making an offer or something. Let's see what deal we can make. Um, I'm with you there, but look, I'll say this. I would not have wanted him to go out any other way, you know. If he's if he wants to throw down and do it, then let's do it. So I, I'll give you, I want to say that in defense of little Noguera. Uh, Fabricio Verdum, he was very mum on the topic. A great sub over a very experienced guy in Gustafsson, but I think the size and the prowess was just too much for Alex. But this could be it for Verdum. He said that um, he's not, it doesn't look like he's going to re-sign with the UFC, but essentially he's hinted that that's the only way he continues his MMA career. If they are going to dangle the Bellator MMA carrot and say, hey, you got a chance to beat, you know, to fight double champ Ryan Bader right away, 
Uh, it, it, I mean, I feel like he could do it and he'd be up for it. I feel like the time away, for different reasons, you know, maybe that helps in terms of his durability and his longevity, but I feel like if you are not getting that immediate deal, you're just doing yourself a disservice. I don't think that you need you have anything to prove by taking a warm-up in Bellator before a possible title shot. What about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Bellator would make a lot of sense for Fabricio Verdum. And the thing is, we've heard before he was officially released or or his UFC contract ended and stuff, we've heard rumors of him going elsewhere before. So I, I'm trying to remember if you were at that Dominus MMA media day at the Tyson Ranch. I missed I believe that one. I did not. You missed that one? Okay. So yeah, they, they got, back, else, like, they the got back to me late. I was, okay. I was disappointed. <laughs> I was ready well, to hang with Iron Mike, too. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, yeah, me. actually, yeah, yeah, I interviewed Mike, and he was blowing weed smoke in my face the whole time. But that's another story. Um, so uh, Verdum, they were, they, in that room, I just remember hearing rumors that Verdum was headed to BKFC, that that, that deal was already done. Um, we've recently heard rumors about him going to ACA, and we know he has ties to uh, to those wonderful people tied to Ramzan Kadyrov, and you know that whole that, that whole promotion that he's he's got ties to that region as well, and and they pray they they are willing to to throw some money at him just to make appearances uh, for PR. So of course they throw some money at him to make appearances in the cage, uh, but I do think Bellator will probably be the the most attractive option. You know they can pay him top dollar. He's got a previous relationship with Scott Coker as he was a, a fighter under the Strike Force banner. Then on top of that, just the name value of the people he could fight there. So of course, the you know the obvious is Fedor Emelianenko. Then you have with, with the fight that I really would like to see him versus Josh Barnett. If um you know Barnett gets his his PED issues cleared up and and is uh, allowed to compete, that would be a fantastic fight to put on. Um, so they have, but and beyond Ryan Bader as the champion, I mean, there there are there are heavyweights with name value that Verdun would probably like to add to his resume. Um, so he can he can still make a lot of money in this sport, and if he performs like he did against uh, Gustafsson, you, you know he, he may not look bad. He he may actually look really good. I think even if you if you put him against the Fedor that we've seen over the past several years, I mean, he decimates him. Um, so I don't really think he has much to lose by stepping outside the UFC, but I think, I think that bridge, uh, to Zufa is, is burnt. Um, he, he's going to be competing again, uh, and it won't be in the octagon. You see what I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Say it like it is. That's ex as advertised. <laughs> no, uh, look, uh, you make a lot of great points. I didn't even think past Ryan Bader for Verdum, but you're completely right. There's a lot there for him if he chooses to. Uh, the impression I got, he seems like he's happy. I think he's aware that, like, look, if I choose to call it a day, I got my big finale, right? For sure. Yeah. And I think it's on him on a personal level. I do know he's a family man, too, so... I'm sure he's going to weigh all that. I would say he is 60-40, 60 being retirement, the 40 being Bellator. I think that it's uh, we're looking at big numbers like that for Verdum. I don't think it's um, you know, I don't think it's a completely done deal either way. I think the only thing about Bellator, why wouldn't it be an attractive option? His age. At the end of the day, do you really want to tack on another 2 years at I think they said he's 42? 
I mean, only he can answer how much he really still wants to do that after everything. So I'm sure that's a real factor, too. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I mean, the age would only be a factor in his eyes. I don't think I mean, Bellator is like nine out of 10 of their their tentpole main events are guys who are over 40. <laughs> so, you know, so that that probably makes him more attractive uh, to to be on a be on a, a Bellator Madison Square Garden card than anything else. Uh, so I, I don't see I don't see that as much of a hindrance um, for anybody outside of him and his family on what they what they decide is best. But I, I think that money is going to be way too attractive and and the options and the, the probability of success being way too high. Uh, so. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go with you on the, um, the when you say the 60 40, but I'm a, I'm a reverse it's 60 percent Bellator, 40 percent retirement. All right. There we go. I will say this. Yeah, I don't know if you're a big sci fi guy, but. If they ever found like that serum, like Captain America, some medicine, and they could inject it into Randy Couture to come back to fight Fedor, they would do it. Bellator would completely make that fight. So I, I'm aware his age is not really a factor. He is still, right. Verdum is still a big contract guy for them, even if it's for two or three fights, for sure. Right. Uh, moving on, um, before we get, uh, you know, before we say goodbye to Fight Island, um, Hamzat Chemaev, I have said he became the breakout star of Fight Island. There were a lot of guys and girls who did well. Ariane Lipsky probably got a submission of the year candidate there. Amanda Hibas, she's kind of become the new, uh, you know, the new it thing in terms of the women's divisions right there over Paige Van Zant. But Hamzat, it seems like Dana White just cannot get this guy fighting again fast enough. I want to put it in perspective first he did do what you're supposed to do he fought you know tough but lower level guys and he made it look easy that is what you're supposed to do if you are going to be you know quote unquote the next big thing he did deliver on that and I do like the way you know I do like his attitude and his personality in interviews in the media I think all of that congratulations you did knock that one out of the park I'm hearing Dan Hardy talking about, do you want to be a double champ? Do you want to be this and that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, eh, slow down, Mr. Hardy. Uh, he did kick some butt, but I don't know if I'm ready to punch all those tickets just yet. I think that, um, I think that uh, he's got a little more work to do. I respect that he's put in the weird position. He's a tough guy that the top names are not going to risk themselves against quickly. But then again, you feel like if you give him another unknown person, now we're just, now what are we doing? So I do uh, acknowledge he's in a tough position, but he did make the full, he did take full advantage of Fight Island and the spotlight. And in that way, mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah he, he did everything he was supposed to do. I, I, I don't think you can, you can ask someone to perform any better under those circumstances. A, a turnaround of 10 days, uh, you know, and in, in, in Abu Dhabi sounds ridiculous. Um, and, but he pulled it off and, and in all likelihood, he's probably going to be uh, placed somewhere on the, the UFC 252 card as well. So he's doing everything that he's supposed to do. But I, I think we need to, to exercise a great deal of caution as far as um, forecasting where his ceiling is it, it, to, to see MMA Twitter. Uh, and and really, some people who who otherwise say very intelligent things and are normally very insightful about the sport, 
to see some of these people calling for him to to fight a top 10 welterweight next or for him to be a, a, a title contender already. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's pure lunacy. We're seeing a guy get built up right now. And and while that might be a, a foreign concept to a lot of MMA people, this is very common in boxing. You, you take a guy who's talented, you take a guy who has a lot of potential, and you put him in there against beatable opposition so he gets experience, so he shows different looks, and so he builds a fan base. You know, let's let's keep in mind that's what's going on with him right now. He hasn't fought someone who has proven to be a UFC caliber fighter just yet. When that happens, then we can talk about, you know, where he should rank in the division. Until then, he's just an entertaining prospect. And that's fine. We just got to keep it that. Let's remember what happened when when Brandon Vera got pushed too far too fast. Let's remember what happened with Sage Northcutt getting pushed too far too fast. Uh, So we don't want to ruin potential uh, by being too anxious. Yeah, I'm with you there. Now, mind you, that's not to say I'm not excited to see him again soon. I will admit that. Um, for the record, do you think that he's going to be fighting on DC versus Stipe undercard in about two weeks? Yeah, why not? I mean, he clearly has, has taken you know a bare minimum of, of, of any damage. Um, he's willing to fight. Um, Dana is quite well documented saying that he loves guys like that and, and he's willing to give them fights. And clearly the UFC has uh, some sort of appreciation of this guy and they want to showcase him. So why not showcase him on a pay-per-view next? That seems like the next logical step when building a star. As long as they they don't get too far ahead of themselves. I'll um, borrow the the sentiments of uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Ben Duffy at SureDog, who, who said, that this is if they take the approach that Bellator has taken with with MVP, then they're on to something. <clears throat> so with with Michael Venom Page, we know that he was very clearly built up to to be this electrifying entertainer. And up until he got to the absolute top level opposition, you know, he he fell off. Uh, but they just rebooked him for these entertaining fights and his his star power his celebrity is still there the intrigue is still there to watch him fight you want to see it uh, so if they if they follow along those lines and build him slowly we might have something I, i'm just i'm just concerned about him being rushed um, and and in a sport like mma you don't want to get rushed and get all that potential beaten out of you i will say this i think the biggest thing when you go UFC to Bellator, in terms of like uh, building up fighters, it's very rare that you see kind of like a homegrown young guy make it to the top, in my opinion. I mean, Max is probably like the poster child for them. That was mm-hmm. slow and probably about as perfect an athlete development as we've seen in UFC. Dustin Poirier, he had some hiccups, but he was another young guy too. And we've seen a couple. Rory didn't do bad, of course, either. But, yeah, I think yeah. John Jones is probably the best example. Oh, yeah. You, you know what? My bad. I forgot. I guess he's been around so <laughs> long and, you know, ah, I, I forgot about that. Yes, you're very right. But, you know, in terms of that, I think one of the reasons it's difficult is because in Bellator, you are not fighting those high-level guys every night out like you do in the upper echelon of the UFC, right? I think that it's fair to say that, right. you know, not that Bellator does not have some elite pound-for-pound level talent, but you're not necessarily getting those guys or girls every night out like you are when you're becoming a UFC main event, when you're becoming a ranked UFC fighter. So I think that's the challenge when you're talking about develop somebody. It's like, ah, uh, you know, 
it can take um it, it could be a little harder in the octagon because they tend to grab so many people who are already proven or you know they've proven that they're already a prospect with some seasoning attached so i think that's the well, challenge I think it's more so what the UFC feels like doing because we've seen them do that. We've seen them bring people in. Um, <clears throat> we, we've seen people. We've seen them bring people in uh, that otherwise don't belong in the UFC. Like Mickey Gall came around because they just wanted CM Punk to fight somebody. You, you know, uh, Mike Jackson was brought in to fight somebody. You, you know, who who shouldn't have been in the UFC. Like that's the, the whole idea of bringing in people. I mean, the UFC has the resources and the scouting ability to do that in, in the same way, like Bellator has gone out of its way to find people for, for MVP to fight. I mean, his, what was his, his last fight where it, it was like, they got some plumber or something. To, to come the guy with like the negative record, uh, almost, yeah. Uh, almost, yeah. almost insultingly. So yeah. And then, and then the same thing they did with, uh, with uh, Jack Swagger, like they found a guy who, who middled along in the in the regional circuit to the, the and they paired him up style wise. Okay, well he's a he's a a boxer who's done okay at regional level MMA. Uh, let's put him in, uh, against this athletically superior wrestler, you know, because we kind of know how that's going to go. It, it, so yeah. it's it's all a matter of of how much effort are they going to put into uh, the the whole charade. You know, if if you want to just use guys that are already on the UFC roster, yeah, you're you're probably going to start running into some problems when you get to a certain point, um, or or guys who are just kind of middling around the the bottom level of, of the UFC. Um, <clears throat> but but yeah, you you can they're able to do it however they please. It's just a matter of the effort they put in. Uh, I'm with you there. I think that it's going to be very interesting. You know, if they do find someone for the 15th, let's keep an eye on that matchup. Um, Anthony, Absolutely. in terms of uh, Fight Island as a whole, I think my only thing to say about it, um, as Mike Goldberg would say, it looked virtually identical to something at the Apex or just about any other fight night we've seen. The marketing, though, I think that that was a runaway hit. They did a good job, and I, I will say this, the UFC, and I, I want to preface this, I would do the exact same thing. They did not lie. Dana White got out there on camera, on the broadcast, and said that it's going to be an indoor venue. You can drive to Fight Island. There's no Jurassic Park helicopter, none of that. But truth be told, the t-shirts, the commercials... There were a lot of palm trees and water crashing against the rocks that, you know, if you do not watch this and think about it too much, you probably thought they were going to fight on the sand. And that was a big part of the sale. Plus, you added Jorge Masvidal and you just got all this interest for the last two weeks. Marketing, mission accomplished, fights. I do like how many guys got to showcase their stuff that can't get to Vegas otherwise. But outside of that, yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway. They pulled off quite a big logistical event. But the point is that it looked a lot like the events we're used to. Yeah, it, it was it was completely the same uh, for for everyone watching at home. And I, and I think the, the marketing, as you said, was a home run. They they really um, they really sold that one perfectly and played into everyone's expectations or hopes or just just fever dreams of of what a, a UFC Fight Island event would look like. 
but but I will say they I mean, I, I don't think they went far enough. You know, now, as as much as um, I cry and scream about sporting integrity, and that's this a phrase that I use all the time, um, this was the one time I wanted to see them deviate from it. You know, if you're going to create this this experience of Fight Island, and this is, you know, let's, let's not make any, any sort of euphemisms about the whole thing. This was to avoid regulation. This is simply a way to circumvent government authority to create whatever content for ESPN. And this is the entire purpose of it. So if you're going to go into that, if you're going to go through all this trouble uh, and all this time to uh, to blatantly just run against regulation, just just go all the way. Just just do it all the way. And at the very least, like you know, brand the the on TV product the same, you know, to just show like a a shot of a beach and then you just see the regular octagon with, you know, that looks exactly the same in an indoor venue. It, it, it doesn't the, the disconnect is not taking full advantage of the situation, even if they just decorated the cage floor a little different. It would have it would have been something it, it would have made some sort of sense or. Uh, just add a little flavor to it. And, I, and I've, I've used this example plenty of times, and I, and I think it's appropriate to bring this up again. Um, the UFC, I think, has done a, a terrible job of leaning into its own uh, IP uh, to, to create different experiences. We saw them deviate from this once uh, once or twice, like when they did the um, the 25th anniversary show in Denver, and they had the old school graphics Yep. on the broadcast and they had the the old school logo on the cage you know um i i was i was screaming up and down for them to to do a wec throwback for the the pettis and, and henderson rematch in milwaukee or when they returned to japan to have the blue gloves and white floor like like in pride something something to pay homage to um to the past of the sport and at the same time give the viewer just a different feel Fight Island was the perfect time to do that, to to put something different on the cage floor or to, you know, even if you have beach theme fight kits or something to to make it look different than any other fight that would be in Columbus, Ohio. You know, and that and that's that's really what was missing. Of course, they delivered on the fights themselves and there were and there were a lot of storylines that came about. Uh, but but I think this was a missed opportunity from a marketing standpoint. And if they do return to Fight Island which I think is very likely considering the time and expense that, that the government of, of uh, the UAE went through to create that. And while we're seeing COVID-19 cases rise in the U.S. and we could, like I know we're, we're both in California and we've gone backwards as far as our lockdowns and restrictions are concerned. You know, if that trend continues and we've got to go on full-scale lockdowns and everything else again, they could be headed right back to Fight Island. I'd be very curious to see if a return to Fight Island means that they lean deeper into the branding and, and give the viewer a different experience watching. I'm completely with you there. I was ready for a Fight Island fantasy. And, you know, you go on Twitter, people wanted to see everything from the actual fights on a cage... The octagon girls with different outfits, everything. I completely get why. Uh, I will say this. As much as I want to see that, Anthony, I'm completely with you. I wouldn't mind like a beach-themed canvas for the octagon. 
maybe like some palm tree, you know, print on the cage that, you know, the black coating that they have on the top and the corners. If they were to do that, let's say for Adesanya versus Costa, as nice as it would be, I would almost worry it's too little too late. Like, you know, it's like we're kind of now going to the new Fight Island expecting it to look like the last two weeks. And, you know, so it's like, I, you know, so, but I'm with you there. I think that um, if we're going to go all in, let's do it. Um, I don't think it would have been bad to have all four fight cards have the special canvas. I don't think people would have seen that as, okay, we get it. But yeah, I, I agree with you there. There was one knock on the whole thing. It was probably that, you know, we did not get even a little bit extra. The in-cage product probably looked about the same. After all the marketing, mm-hmm. you felt like they would hit you with a curveball at a certain point. But yeah, yeah, and for the for, yeah, ahead. the marketing was dope. And for, and for the record, Mike, I'm I'm actually looking at the UFC store right now, uh, and I might get I might get one of these Fight Island hoodies. They're, they're kind of dope, so they they might have got a few dollars off of me. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, I may have a Fight Island product arriving too, according to UPS tracking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Um, but yeah, uh, fun fights. I think mission accomplished there. A lot of guys and girls perform well. Uh, let's talk about some MMA news, Anthony. I think this one, you and I, I, I have a feeling you and I are going to have quite a few thoughts on this one. I think the big one is uh, Malki Kawa, the manager for several fighters, John Jones and Jorge Masvidal, probably the most prominent, is pursuing the contractual release of two of his athletes that are signed with the PFL, Justin Willis and Brendan Lofnan. Brendan, you'll remember, he's the guy that a lot of people thought should have gotten the contract on Contender Series last year, and PFL picked him up. Kawa said, essentially, the lawsuit to get him out of it comes from the fact that PFL is sticking to their guns on canceling all fights in 2020, not even any special one-off events at the end of the year. And they said they, on their end, the athletes and them, they're refusing the $1,000 stipend. I think they're essentially saying, that's not worth it. We'd rather fight than have $1,000 a month. Now, you'll, <laughs> I don't blame them on you, that. <laughs> yeah, you'll remember <laughs> Kayla Harrison uh, had a long interview with Brett Okamoto saying, contractually, I need a fight. I've been promised fights. And if other people are putting on fights and you're not, she was nice about it, but she essentially stood her ground. We have an issue. Lance Palmer, two-time champion, has said he does not like this at all. He's kind of feeling the same way. Um, we talked to, I know you weren't here for this. We brought this issue up last week a little bit, but action wasn't being taken yet. Anthony, when I see this, I feel like it caused, it's a domino effect for a lot of big problems for PFL. I think the chief amongst them is that you may have some mid-level guys who legally they may not feel like they can fight it and win in an adequate amount of time. But for a lot of these bigger names, possibly Rory, Kayla, Lance, guys like Ray Cooper, for example, guys who have become, you know, very established in the brand, you're talking about asking them to take more than a year off. Because remember, it's not like they're fighting on January 1st. So, when you put all this together, I think the big thing about it is that if you're a PFL athlete, do you feel like it is worth it to you after all the legal battle and whatever you're going to make, 
let's say you get out of this and you sign and you're able to fight for Bellator at the end of this year. Is it worth being a contender for a million dollars? And are you planning if you're out, you're done? Or are you doing all this just for two fights in Bellator and then you're back for PFL season three? And I want your thoughts on that. I mean, I think it could go either way. I mean, the, the thing is, though, the, the athletes in question, they're looking at now. And, and, you know, they can't afford to look to what their career is going to look like next year at this time because Bill's got to be paid now and they haven't fought since New Year's Eve. Um, so you gotta, you, you've got to have something going on there. Now, I think it's also notable when you, when you mention the, the mid-level guys who may not have the resources to do this. We're hearing complaints from Malki Kawa's uh, uh, group, who and, and Kawa, the Kawa brothers have one of the the most um, the most powerful MMA agencies in in, in the sport. They've got uh, was it first round management and yep. a lot of top level names there, a lot of resources behind that company. If I'm not mistaken, they they actually sent Jorge Masvidal to Fight Island on their private jet. So that's the sort of the, the sort of pull that 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 this family has. Uh, as in the in the sport, and now you look at Kayla Harrison and Lance Palmer, they are clients of Ali Abdelaziz, another extremely powerful manager in the sport. So there are resources behind those names that can fight legal battles that that do have, especially in the case of um, Ali. I mean, his like half the roster of PFL are his guys. So if anybody has pull in in that promotion, it's going to be him. Uh, to to say what his what his fighters can and can't do, and you know, and and what those terms are going to look like. Now, I, I do think that they are they're focused on getting a payday as soon as possible. It's got to be very difficult when you haven't had a fight book since New Year's. You're watching the UFC um, build infrastructure in Abu Dhabi. You're watching uh, Bellator just they they just return. To uh, to an empty uh, Mohegan Sun, you're seeing LFA, you're seeing Invicta. One championship is coming back. You're seeing all these promotions operating in, in this time, and PFL has shut things down. I understand why they shut things down. I mean, keep in mind they're based in in an area where uh, coronavirus has has decimated uh, a, a lot of a lot of population there, and it and it's just wreaked havoc on on the local economy. So it makes sense why why PFL is trying to sit this one out. Uh, but for the athletes, that ain't their problem. Their problem is getting these bills paid. Their problem is 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 pushing their careers forward. So of course they're gonna they're gonna pursue this action, and I think it's worth it. I I, I think it's worth it to them because the the thing is if depending on how it goes with PFL, I don't think you really even if it goes uh, in in a negative direction. I mean PFL. Um, do you, do you think they're going to be so hard on about, oh, this guy says something mean about us in an interview, we're not going to re-sign him uh, if, if, if you're a, a top-level fighter? I, I don't think so. They don't have that luxury. That's something that, that really only the UFC can afford to do in this climate. So um, I think that, that some of these fighters are going to get granted their releases. Uh, others, they might you know, give them more than a thousand dollar stipend, which is really nothing. A thousand dollar stipend is, is, I mean, absolutely nothing as far as just living and and paying bills and you know having a regular life is concerned. So yeah, man, uh, some of these people are gone. I'm sure some will be back, but for a name like Kayla Harrison, 
uh, or or someone like Lance Palmer, people who who um, a lot of people speculated what they'd look like outside of PFL. I think we can kiss them goodbye. Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, um, they're going to weigh their big options. So I, I think the mid-level guys, I think they're going to stay because I think that um, I, I think they see it as, hey, you know, this may end up being worse for us long term, even though I want to fight today if I could and in the Bellators and LFAs of the world. When, you know, if we're talking about the big names, you know, the Harrisons and the Palmers and all that, what it's going to come down to, and I don't think it's any secret, do you feel like you are going to be in a better position, you know, not just this year, but hey, you're not going to get a million dollar contract in Bellator. You may not get uh, those big money guarantees. So do you feel like, hey, if I leave and I start making, let's say, you know, hypothetically, 100k a fight, you know, you got to wait on you. Do you feel like you're going to get enough from outside stuff, sponsors and all that, that you make up the difference for yourself over the course of the year? They're all going to ask themselves that question. I'm sure they're thinking about it. I'm sure some of them feel more confident than others. But yeah, I, I think to me, very bluntly, I do believe the PFL is going to put on fights at the end of the year. If for no other reason than the fact that long term, this could be worse for them. Because I think outside mm-hmm. of whatever damage you might do to your current roster, I'm sorry, but let's say, you know, Michael Chandler. He's a free agent after he fights uh, Benson next week. Uh, he's talked about it. Well, PFL's out there. If you're Michael Chandler and you see this, is PFL very attractive to you right now? Absolutely not. No, it can't be. And there right. are a lot of guys and girls, you know, if you're talking about picking up these people and getting interest or even keeping people around year to year, I can't say that people are exactly jumping out of their seats at the prospect. And look, I get it. It's not my money to say they should do this or they should do that. But from the outside looking in, if what you are worried about is, you know, these guys or girls' records don't look as shiny in 2021, I'm sorry, but I feel like you could spin that very easily as a redemption arc. You can make your money back, but keeping so-and-so undefeated or what have you I don't think you are doing yourself a service. And now, I will also admit this. When we talk about a one-off, I'd like to point out, you cannot fit the entire PFL roster on one night. You're probably going to have to do about three to four, uh, you know, respectfully. That being said, I mean, three or four, everybody at least fights once. Come on, you got to work with me somewhere, I think. Because otherwise, PFL, I I mean, you... I don't think you're going to get back to business as usual in 2021. You might be shooting yourself in the foot and not realize it long term. Yeah, I, I, and but I think I think you're you're absolutely right in 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 that line of thinking. But PFL, I mean, we've heard about you know I'm sure you've heard some of these rumors too that they were in some serious financial trouble this time last year, um, to where you know one person that I I, I spoke to off the record uh, about this was was doubting that the organization would come back you know for the next season there was there was a serious question mark about that so they're in the same survival mode if these if the, if those rumors hold, hold any truth like they were they're in the same survival mode that the fighters are in uh, so it may not be um it may not be the they don't have the luxury of saying okay well well we'll come back next year just right and and, and they might have to just say how do we get through to to see tomorrow how do we keep the doors open? 
you know, you think about having a big acquisition like Rory McDonald. How much do you think his monthly stipend is? Because Ooh. I guarantee you it's not a thousand dollars to keep that man there. Great point. And quite honestly, quite honestly, I'm surprised that names like uh, Brendan Lochnane and Kayla Harrison um, have the same thousand dollar stipend. That that is a shock to me. Um, to where I don't even believe that's true. Let's keep in mind the bidding war that took place for for Lockman after he got snubbed on the Contender Series. And I spoke with um, Martin Lewandowski, who is the the uh, CEO of KSW, uh, shortly before his his PFL signing w- was announced. And and he was saying that as far as KSW was concerned, like uh, Lockman and his management, they bid themselves out of KSW. So you know a lot of money went into acquiring him. Um, Man. It, so, yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm just obviously, you know, without any insight into their books, I'm sure PFL has thrown out so much money. And if those, those financial uh, troubles help hold any truth to them, they have a lot of things that they're trying to juggle. There are a lot of spinning plates right now, and they're just trying to keep things uh, from falling apart. So this maybe this does it. Maybe maybe this is the final thing that pushes that boulder over the cliff. Um, I, I hope not. But I, I think that all parties involved aren't necessarily negotiating right now um, with long term interest in mind. This is all about how do we get through to see the next day without a out of business sign uh, across the window. Very bluntly, are fights going to be held for PFL in 2020? Yes or no? Yes. I think so. Um, they can't. They can't sit back and watch every other promotion at work and them not do anything. Um, now, especially now, of course, if the if the um, you know COVID nineteen pandemic wor- is is much worse toward the end of the year, I think we can you know we can effectively um, you know put a bow on that one and and, and call it a night. Hey, don't jinx if, that. That's if it gets yeah. worse, we got a lot bigger problems than no PFL, it's, man. It, <laughs> exactly, and then 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 we're then we're then we're, then we're talking about other problems, <laughs> but um, but yeah, aside from a, a scenario like that, I don't see PFL just taking the entire year off. At the very least, a, a one-off fight makes a lot of sense. You got to showcase Rory McDonald. You got to showcase Kayla Harrison. <laughs> you you got to showcase uh, some of these bigger names uh, while you have them and while you can make some money and, and earn back some of the losses that you that you've had over the year for not fighting at all. I mean, I, I think it ain't going to come out pretty because I don't think they'll be able to actually get everyone on the roster a fight. But I've said this PFL holiday special, you know, late November, early December, mm-hmm. get Rory and Kayla out there. Just, you know, call it macaroni and let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, I agree and- with that. I like that. Anthony, let's talk about some better times. You and I have been on a lot of adventures. Um, for people who don't know, I think I've literally, you know, on Media Row, I'm the chair right next to Anthony, and we've sat um, at some pretty unique events together. We could talk yes, we about have. a lot of UFCs and all that, you know, a lot of stories that everyone knows. I figure let's go ahead and have some fun. Let's revisit some of the more unique ones you and I have been at. Um, let's start with the most recent one. Logan Paul versus KSI at the Staples Center. I will say this. <laughs> I, I think that there's never been a, a more... I think it's the sporting event that made me most aware of my age. 
was the biggest thing yes. I took from that. What about you? Uh, yeah, I felt like an old man there. And you're, you're younger than me. Um, mm -hmm. You're considerably younger than me. So imagine how I felt. Um, there was <laughs> the, the one thing that I, I keep thinking about that I thought was so funny. When some guy was walking by the walking by the, the, the media row and and like all these kids were recognizing him and getting all excited. I saw him and recognized him. And I thought I thought it was that rapper Blueface and end up it wasn't. It was some YouTube guy who happens to look like Blueface. And then I felt really old. It was like because I have no idea <laughs> who that guy is. Um, and then you remember the guy who was dressed in all white that looked like he was coked out and he kept like pacing back and forth uh, on the floor um, level. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, that that event was was pretty interesting uh, to see, like all these these kids that were getting so excited to see all these YouTubers and Twitch personalities walking around and then to see their parents have no idea who anybody was. And and, and then while this is going on, you know, before the, the farcical main event took place, which actually was fun to watch. Um, Devin Haney, who's one of the best boxers in the world, was in there in a in a in a, a fight that was more competitive than it probably should have been. Entertaining fight, and nobody gave a damn. That was pretty sad to watch. It was like it's like wow, this world class boxing is happening right in front of us, and you guys are are acting crazy because a dude who put up a parody video on, on YouTube six months ago it, it just happens to be walking past with a soda. I I, I found that very. Um, very alarming as far as my age is concerned. And, and then on top of that, like I have to give you credit for even for me, even uh, staying around at the event because they screwed up all the, the seating arrangements so much that until I got that DM from you about where you were sitting, I would have just walked out the arena and just gone back home. Yes. So for people who don't know media row, if you are not on the floor level with all of the cool people, like um, I'm not going to lie, I was very salty about not getting a seat because I'd been there all week. Um, there's yes. two sides to the arena. Only one side actually has a work desk. The other is just a regular chair like with the fans. Um, and yeah, so if you're trying to do work either on a laptop or, you know, maybe you have your gear not having the desk suddenly becomes a big detriment. So, um, yeah, I actually had to discover it for myself and I had to look in the distance to see, wait, is that available? And peace out of my end of the, end of the arena. Um, I, I remember the, my biggest takeaways from that, um, during the event, I, I told myself, I need to get out and I need to, I need to see this for myself. And who are people freaking out about? And it may have been weird, but I asked every young person anytime people went crazy, who is that? What do they do? TikTok guy, YouTube guy. <laughs> One guy is in ahem, adult entertainment. And I swear these yeah. boys and boys 16, 17 years old were freaking out about him. And I'm like, is that what young people freak out about now? I mean, I, I could get if it's oh. a girl, but come on now, guys, this is a little. I just didn't get it. And so, you <laughs> well, know, I had that experience, Anthony. Oh, and, and wait, I don't know if you saw this, but um, I, I had to explore social media. True story. There was this girl and I, she's a, I'll use the word influencer, whether it's comedy or whether a lot of people just follow her because she wears short shorts on Instagram. I don't know. But the fact is legit posted a video I, get, I don't know if they were drunk and, or they just were thinking, hey, it's Logan Paul. He'll understand. They're going to get wild. Floor seat 
goes to the bathroom, a number one, and then runs out before they get caught. And they're posting about this, like, oh, this is a wild thing I did at the Logan Paul fight. And I was just like, what in the, I'm sorry, but can you imagine the kind of thing that would happen to if you did that at a regular UFC or a regular fight? It was just like, that was a very, that was a unique experience. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, that's something I will not forget. That was that was a strange, strange, strange event. And, and for me, it was kind of, when I look back on it, it's kind of depressing because that was that was the last time I was credentialed uh, at for sure dog at an event. It was like like wow, that's a what a what a what a way to just whimper out of a uh, <laughs> what a, a way fun, to go. <laughs> you know, like wow, I you know I went from I went from you know being being front and center from some of the the most insane moments in the sport to to be a part of UFC 232 and see the venue change and you know and viral moments with with Nate Diaz and sit, sitting 30 feet away from Ben Askren getting kneed in the head in four seconds and then it ends with uh me watching Logan Paul and KSI with a bunch of prepubescent kids screaming because they're screaming like I Wow. What a, what a sad way to call it quits, huh? <laughs> uh, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, I will not forget that one. And you're right. You know, when you think about, you had Devin Haney, Billy Joe Saunders. I mean, I'm watching these guys online and Ryan Garcia and Canelo. These are some big opponents, big names. And, you know, the YouTube guys, I was like, ah, that's, uh, that, uh, I will say this. I now know what my parents felt like. It's like, is that what? You know, I look like to you guys being interested in stuff when I was younger. Yeah. I have sympathy. Um, yeah, I, I think back to, to my dad taking me to a, a WWF match, uh, Undertaker versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and he had no idea what was going on, but it was like the greatest thing in the world to me. So, sorry, Dad. And for the record, that's how you know it was WWF still. <laughs> yes, yes, that's how old I am. It's okay. <laughs> I, I, I remember WWF too. Very clearly. I remember our, my neighbor having a, you know, the rock themed uh, birthday party. I do. Um, we, I can't let you go without talking about Golden Boy MMA, man. I think that I will say this, you know, it's going to sound weird, but just stick with me with it. Turning point in our friendship. Because I think that I that, that yeah. was, you know, probably the I don't think we'd talk too much yet. But we were seated together, and essentially, it was like, hey, you and I are on the same floor of the Titanic. And we yeah. set sail, and we watched that, that thing sink to the very end, man. I mean, what do you remember most about Golden Boy MMA? Because we could do a whole show on that. We, we really could. We, we really could talk about that one forever and a day. So, I, so of course, we, we had had uh, several conversations at random media days and, and stuff before. And, you know, we were definitely cool with one another. Uh, but I remember seeing you at that media day and us really talking, mainly because we were trying to find where the food was and yes. nobody at the forum could tell you where anything was. So we were like walking around the arena floor aimlessly until we finally found where the food was. And then we sat together <laughs> on, on press row. So between between you and, and Oscar, who was who was sitting, I think he was sitting on the, the row in front of us, yeah. but he got bored. Um, because it was nobody fun sitting right around him. Uh, so he just kept, he just kept all, all coming his, over to us. All of his cool, <laughs> uh, by the way, for people who don't know, Oscar, the guy who does great work for the Mac Life, 
yeah, his, uh, you know, his cool friends like John Morgan and that were not present. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John wasn't there. John was not putting up with that shit. He, <laughs> he wasn't there. Um, so, so yeah, man, he kept coming and sitting with us, man, just to just to pass time. And it was just like, all right, we're just gonna crack these jokes. It was it was so fun to be at. Like, I mean, up until the main event, which was purely depressing, and then seeing the absolute um, j- just garbage fire that the the post fight press conference was as far as the logistics of that were concerned up until then it was it was a fun event to cover simply because we're so dialed in for you know ufc and bellator or lfa whatever whatever promotion we're covering when there's serious mixed martial arts going on we are so dialed in that it's i i think we we neglect um to to appreciate that we are doing something that's that really should be fun it, to be caught up in all the editing you have to do and all the writing you have to do and getting your interview questions and whatnot. We're so concerned about coming out with quality work that we don't just take a step back and say, Oh, this is pretty cool that I'm doing this and I'm getting a, a check for it. So to see, um, so to see an event where it really forced you to just have fun because there was nothing legitimate going on that night. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was it was a total disaster. But you had to just enjoy it for what it was. And to see uh, Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz make the walk in Southern California with their iconic shorts and the crowd going crazy, it like it, it felt pretty cool for that moment uh, until that first jab was thrown, and then you, you then you remember what was happening. Back to um, reality. But, yeah, it was back to reality. But here's here's the crazy thing, man. I have a feeling that we are going to have uh, more. Uh, of these sort of stories very soon because Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson <laughs> is is taking place in the Los Angeles area. So I have a feeling we'll be sitting right beside each other, ready to tell more stories soon enough. I mean, I've already sent the emails. I don't know if you're there yet, but I was like, oh, I, I got to see this. I got to complete my collection of, uh, I think the only one until I get that flying DeLorean um, I can't add the Kimbo Dada 5000 card to my list. That would have been, <laughs> that's like the centerpiece I didn't get to add. Um, you know what? Uh, from the top, you'll remember that for Media Day, which they did not notify all of us, um, they, they, some people, I don't know why they did, but I felt very salty about that too. It was at a scheduled time in yes. the middle of the heat in Inglewood. Mm-hmm. Show up at 11. I show up at 11. Oh, we're moving it to 2 o'clock. What? And so, you know, I'm there. I have my car full of camera gear. I'm not just going to leave that in the car in Inglewood. Sorry. Um, So I'm there with my heavy bag of gear and all that. I'm sitting in the Albertsons, the Starbucks in an Albertsons. Um, and, uh, and later come to find out y'all were hanging out at Denny's or whatever. And I was like, mind you. We were not good friends yet, so I can't be mad at you for not inviting me. But after the fact, it's like, come on, bro. You see, you would have been there too, because it, it just happened. So Oscar and I, we we had hung out a few times before. Then we were hanging out around uh, UFC 229 uh, during that fight week, is when we first met. Um, so that was like the second or third time that we had we had seen each other. And we happened to get there at the same time. So you must have got there right after we walked away. Yeah. <laughs> so we get there because we both like to show up really early for everything just to make sure we can get prime positioning and all that and, and just kind of relax and don't have to fight through the traffic. So uh, so Oscar pulls up 
and I had just gotten there. We, we're waiting around just talking in a line and we're noticing no one else is joining this line. It's just it's just us two in, in the forum's empty parking lot and, and like three security guards looking at us like we're complete morons. Uh, and, and then after about 20 minutes, you're like, man, nobody's here. What's going on? And normally John Morgan is our gauge of if we're supposed to be there or not, because he's always super early. Yes. But he was he, he had that event off. So I'm like, all right, well, John's not here. So we're just kind of left to our own devices. Um, then we find out that the security guards are like, well, I think the thing is supposed to start at two. And I just taken off from my day job to get there. So I'm like, man, I, I could be working and getting some hours right now. Oscar's like, well, I could still be in my hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're like, well, let's go get something to eat. So we went to the Sizzler across the street. Oh, there it is. Sizzler. Yeah. Yeah, but then, but then when we got back, um, then come to find out you had just gotten there afterward. You would have been part of that crew too, and the burger was pretty good, so I, I wasn't too mad. But it was, it was just like, like Golden Boy, is is one of the top tier boxing promotions, and they do this all the time. They've had plenty of big fights. Um, they know how to put on an event, but there was so little effort, and 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 so little just due diligence on making a coherent. Um, it, it just, just it's it just something that made sense for MMA. They just didn't try. Yeah, you know, Oscar didn't even show up until the main event, uh, and then he instead of sticking around for the post fight press conference, he did a he did like an Instagram story from his truck after the fight <laughs> about how good it was. Like, like what, what sort of crap is this? But it is. I think it is fun to be at an event like that just to see the the circus unfold. So I we'll we'll be at it again, man. I'm. You well, know, hold on. Know I, I got to add know. more. I got to add more because, okay, so that happened because the Pacquiao, they, they had a surprise Pacquiao press event. They moved us for the fact that they thought all of their normal Golden Boy MMA media people, the people who go to their events religiously in droves, they would join because Pacquiao was doing his thing in Beverly Hills. That's, they that's thought right, they'd yeah. come to, uh, you know, Tinglewood afterward. Nobody did. One person, the amazing photographer Esther Lynn, was the only yes. person who actually attended both events. So they bumped us three hours for nothing. I'm sure you remember Chuck Lydell. And I'm yes. sure you remember... Okay, how many times did they play freaking California Love for walkouts oh and intermission god. music? Oh my god. The number changes in my irate. head every time. Uh, was irate, like... So I got to explain like what California love is to me. Now, when the first when the song first came out, I was in high school. Song was dope. Loved it. Video still was cool. Dope now. I mean, but now now watching fights has made me dislike the song. And I'm like the biggest Tupac fan. I don't I don't ever want to hear that song again, man. It's about time. California now has they have a ton of good rappers like Game, uh, Kendrick. Schoolboy, Boogie, like there's so many good rappers from the Los Angeles area, just from California, period, that there should be a new California anthem by now. It, it's got to be something else, man, because I can't stand to hear that damn song every time I go to an event. And, and they've just played it over and over and over and over again. It was like, like, yo, just the worst, though, you know, this back to the Logan Paul and KSI. <laughs> so do you remember when they played the song? And the DJ is like, oh, R.I.P. to Tupac. And they didn't even play Tupac's verse. They just played Dr. Dre's <laughs> verse and cut it off. Like, yo, y'all. <laughs> it's like, 
It's like, y'all even trying? Like, what's going on here? There was so, so many little things. Like, okay, they'd have, someone would get hit with a low blow, and they wouldn't show the slow-mo replay on the big screen. And I'm like, gee, it would sure be nice if we had somewhere to see that. Yeah, or, like, come on now. remember, they started naming all these celebrities in the audience, and no one can see them. They don't put the camera on them. And it's like, at this point, I think they're just saying names. Yeah, there's they're like, like, yeah, Jennifer Aniston's here. Like, where? Yeah, like, prove <laughs> it. It's so bad. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, um, I, I do want to, I got to say this. I talked to one of the fighters. Uh, I actually have some friends who fought on the card, and I want to give them credit because they fought the people in front of them. They did tell me from their point of view, the show was run smoothly. The production and all that, they had everything. It wasn't like they were getting ready in the parking lot and didn't have a locker room. I want to point that out. Fighters have told me it did run pretty good from their point of view. So I want to always say that. But, yeah, I, I think that was the that was the biggest event where the MMA didn't matter as much. And my final thing I want to point out, um, and I always say this, what was it like? When you see, Ch and we got good seats, when you see Chuck Liddell in the icicle shorts and you had Tito in the flame shorts, it did feel like being in Back to the Future. Like, it you did. know, for me, yeah. it's like, dude, no offense, but I wasn't even thinking about doing media when these guys fought. I don't even, I think technically my, my entrance to the fandom was right after their time. So the idea, like, dude, I'm at Chuck versus Tito and there he is in the shorts and it's like, that was a unique experience. But then I got it, reminded uh, we were at Chuck Tito 3, not Chuck Tito 1. Yeah, that, that first, the, the opening seconds of that fight reminded me what year it was. And it was it was like that whole that whole fight week was so surreal for me. Because it, it was, I had a similar uh, viewpoint in that. Like, I was, you know, I was a fan of MMA with, with Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz were in the heyday. I was definitely watching. But I never thought I'd be covering the sport or, or working in any sort of professional capacity around it so when i'm standing in front of chuck liddell and doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with him and and we're laughing and joking with each other and then i'm i'm interviewing tito ortiz and he's about to fight chuck liddell's manager and they're like on they're squaring off on the opposite sides of me it's like oh wow this is this is real <laughs> you know this is really happening uh it, it definitely was a was a surreal moment and then i was reminded what was going on in in, in reality but I, i'll cherish that memory right there that was pretty cool I'm going to shameless plug. Um, if you watch the Chuck Tito 30 for 30, I'm in the background of a shot from the press conference. And that's like my oh. biggest claim to fame. Yes. There's a, <laughs> oh, I'll man. send you the photo. But I was like, hey, I'm in the documentary. That's all I care about. If anyone asks, yes, they talk to me as much as they talk to Ariel and Brett Okamoto. But, you know, that is my one claim. It's like, hey. It lives in eternity. I was there, thirty for thirty. Well, I'm, I'm gonna have to rewatch to see if they caught a shot of me in there. <laughs> uh, my 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 claim to fame uh, recently has been on ESPN social media feeds. I popped up twice on Father's Day because I asked Nate Diaz uh, that question about being a father and how <laughs> that uh, changed his approach to fighting. So they reposted that, and then I was in the background of a picture with John Jones holding his kids at the 235 Media Day. That's nice. So That's yeah, so I was like, I was like, yep, I'm I'm kind of a big I'll deal now. It. So <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. 
Uh, Anthony, before this show is long, um, Edmund Shabazi and Derek Brunson. I'm going to just say, do you know what? How does it go down? Who wins? Very bluntly. Um, I think it depends on whether or not uh, Derek Brunson likes Edmund Shabazian. If he has any sort of animosity toward him, he's going to lose and he's probably going to get knocked out. Derek Ooh. Brunson has a terrible record against people that he doesn't like. He gets too emotional. He leaves with his chin. He just runs out there and, and dives uh, at, at takedowns and, and wings punches. And Shabazian, I think, is, is too clean with his technique to fall for anything like that. Um, I, I, do, I, I do favor Shabazian regardless. Uh, but I think it's just going to be a matter of what emotions Brunson brings in there. You know what? Uh, I will say this. That kind of helps Brunson because Edmund Shabazian is such a young, nice guy. You know what I mean? You know, it's not exactly yeah, he's, talking he's, trash. Yeah, he's really like a like a pretty nice, cool guy to, to talk to. I've, I talked to him once or twice for um, I forget what event it was that, that, I, that he was he was fighting on that I worked for. But. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a really nice guy. It's kind of hard to imagine someone really disliking him. Uh, but we can say the same thing about Israel Asanya and him and Brunson like hated each other. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I think if, if Brunson comes in there with just the slightest bit of anger or just the slightest chip on his shoulder, it's going to be a bad night for him, man. I think that, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it's on Shabazian's uh, defense. I think that his counter-striking's there. I think that Derek doesn't offer anything drastically different besides a little more power than um, Brad Tavares. I think that when you look at what Brad was able to do against Izzy, I feel like Derek, you know, kind of falls into the same set of abilities and uh, weapons. So I think that it really comes down to Shabazian just... um. Pick your spots, and if you're having trouble, just raising the output. I think that he's got the IQ and the technical um, prowess to be able to give Brunson a lot of problems. And look, Derek's a guy who's fought everybody. I mean, Anderson, Whitaker, Izzy, Romero, Jacare. He's got all the experience to pose a guy like uh, Shabazian problems. And, you know, I do think, though... All things equal, he's going to need a particularly special performance to beat Shabazian. But um, I got Edmund. I think that he's doing all the right things. I think that um, he's, he's coming out of this one. I'm going to go... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead with this young man. First round TKO. I think he's going to keep his streak of quick finishes alive in this one. Yeah, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised at that outcome. But I, I do think Brunson... If, if he can slow the fight down, um, which which I think with him is sort of a hit or miss thing, like either he comes out and, and completely can stall and, and hold a guy and all that, or he's going to come out just just lightning quick and, and, and winging punches. If he comes out lightning fast, winging punches, I think Shabazian clips him really quick. And then and then that that first round KO looks a lot more likely. Um, but if he's able to slow it down and keep in mind, this is a five rounder. No, actually, no, it's not a five-rounder. It's not. It, this, they, they didn't make this a five-rounder. Um, that throws a lot of my analysis out the window. <laughs> I say, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Shabazian, he's just, he can't get caught up in Brunson's games. If Brunson comes out with a full hit of steam, he can't match that. If, if uh, Brunson wants to stall him out, he can't match that. He's got to, Shabazian's got to stay in his own lane and that's going to lead him to a victory. I, I think, I think he gets it done, man. So, um, 
Brunson with a head full of steam gets clipped quick. Uh, if if he takes a more patient approach, I think Shabazian is going to be able to maintain distance, pop shot him, and, and get a decision. Well, there we have it. We're going with Shabazian, another good one. Um, Anthony, I'm sure we could talk all day. We could talk about that one time with, uh, you know, that one incident at the one fight. We have a million of those stories. So yes, we we're going to have to save a couple of those for the next time. Mr. Walker, I appreciate you coming on the show. What is your social media handle so fans can get all of this goodness and more? Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at AntWalkerMMA. Uh, it's also my, my Instagram handle. I don't post much other than pictures of my son now, but go ahead if you want to see pictures of my son. And um, Who's very young yeah. and adorable still. Oh, thank you. Yes, he is. Yes, he, he just turned seven months. So he's he's uh, in, in prime cuteness right now. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of hard to, to resist the guy. Yeah. So he's he's sleep right now. Fortunately, he'll be up to uh, terrorize any moment. Um, but, but yeah, so that's what I, as you can follow me on Twitter Ant Walker MMA. And uh, you can find my work on the Walkout Network, my YouTube channel, uh, my MMA news, my column with Kristen King uh, called King and Slim. And uh, body lock and MMA on point. So, yeah, getting a little work in. Well, there you go. And, guys, you can find me all the time on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. We'll be back next week recapping the fights and looking ahead to UFC Vegas 6. Derek Lewis versus Alexio Linick. That's another fun one. Until then, have a good one.